Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded December 18th, 2013. And that's right, we are coming to you with another interview, actually the last interview of the year. So, who's joining me to uh, wrap up 2013? Hey, I'm uh, Jason Tagmeyer, designer of Pixel Ink in the deck building game, uh, as well as a couple other things, Maximum Throwdown from AEG, uh, and I developed something called Storyteller Cards, which is more of a tool than a game, and a couple other little small things here and there. I'm from uh, South Jersey, and I'm here to chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we're not doing an OK Cupid profile. Just <laughs> <laughs> I have brown eyes. I'm five foot. <laughs> Although it is pretty cold, and I am a little lonely in Minnesota tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I can be there in twelve hours. <laughs> Uh, so yes, Jason is joining us. And again, like I said, uh, this is kind of cool. It's, it's the last one I'm doing of the year. This has, uh, been our first full year of the game of crowdfunding interviews since we've made it its own thing off of all us geeks, uh, podcast proper. So this is kind of cool. This is, this has been a full year of talking to people about their projects and their design process and all that good stuff. So Jason is going to join us now. And of course, we've got to ask him a few questions to get inside his head a little bit here to loosen up, get this thing started. Jason, what do you do professionally besides design games, sir? I manage a group of processors in a law firm. Uh, it's a foreclosure law firm. Uh, for clothes in a couple different states, New Jersey, PA, and Florida, and I oversee the first half of that. Uh, and I like to call it, they call it the front end, which is basically just starting the action with the court. And yeah, that's that's, that's about as exciting as it gets. <laughs> uh, I oversee a bunch of people, and it's a busy line of work. I have no doubt. My fiance is a lawyer, so she's uh, in a little bit of everything, but uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, no wonder you want to design games at night, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do something exciting. Yeah, take some of the stress off. Yeah, seriously, it's 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 a very stressful industry, and just overseeing you know a large group of people working in three different states, and I have people that you know we work with in Florida, we work with everywhere. So managing via Skype has been interesting. You know, our next question would be, what makes you a geek? I guess. Well, uh, so part of it is I'd, I'd blame my wife. She's she's pretty geeky as well, so she she enables it and accepts it. So it doesn't make me a geek. It keeps me a geek. I guess what makes me a geek is just I kind of grew up a little bit of a loner. Uh, I was really into action figures. I was really into Lego. Didn't really experience any of the like the real popular stuff. I didn't go to the movies a lot as a kid and things like that. So I just had weird movies. My grandmother would get me from the, the Mart or the dirt mall as they call it in New <laughs> Jersey. So just like grasping onto things like that as a child. And I guess being a loner would probably be a big part of that. I just, I like to do my own thing and adventure was a key part of it. Exploration and, and uncovering and finding new things. So in most of that, you uncover and find things that are inherently geeky. For me, it started out with collecting action figures. From there, it went to collecting, you know, video games, cartridge games, to collecting full-size arcade cabinets. It just went from there to a point of no return. <laughs> and then uh, we also like to point out that you can really geek out about anything. Uh, so do you have any 
geek level passions for something that uh, most people may not consider geek related? Oh, let me see. Geek level passions on something that's not geek related. One of our prime examples is people that are, uh, you know, extremely into fantasy football. You, you know, <laughs> they would never consider themselves geeks. But come on, you, you, you're playing, you're playing D and D with football players, and I have heard more about player stats than I ever did about somebody's character at times. <laughs> I guess this is fairly geeky, but I kind of decided I was going to stop buying a lot of toys because of space and money kind of kind of sealed the deal on that. And I have a couple kids now, so you know, there's rooms that would have been filled with toys are now filled with children. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I started doing was instead of buying the toys, I save images of them on my computer. So if I see something I think is really cool, I just save the image and I'm kind of happy enough right there just having this big collection of toy images. Like one of my favorite times of the year is when Toy Fair comes out or any of the the game conventions and uh, I immediately just start saving the pictures. That's probably geeky. And then uh, I'm really passionate about Super Smash Brothers. Uh, it's coming out next year, or I guess it's 2014 for Nintendo, Wii U, and DS. And I've been more passionate about keeping spoilers of that game hidden than keeping spoilers of you know the final episode of Breaking Bad or <laughs> you know anything like that. That's these amazing spoilers that people keep on 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 the internet and they're hiding. I'm really really trying to keep this Smash Brothers stuff fresh for when I play it the first time. Nice. <laughs> All right. You know you you mentioned. Uh... Hopefully that's that's weird enough. Uh, that'll that'll work. <laughs> you know, you mentioned some of the stuff that you've worked on, and of course, one of the titles you mentioned was Maximum Throwdown. I've got that sitting off in a pile. It's uh, part of an episode I really want to do for all us geeks. So uh, we uh, we haven't been able to play it yet, but it's on the pile, and it's uh, uh I basically want to do a dexterity episode, and it's on the list for that episode. So thank you for that game, sir. <laughs> oh, definitely, that's cool. When you play it. You have to stand up when you play because I've seen pictures of people online. They're sitting down and tossing cars on the table. And the whole experience, you just got to stand up for it. So if I can give you one tip, uh, <laughs> stand up when you play. It's, it's a lot more fun. Oh, well, you've completely lost all of us then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I stand up when I play like anything. I'm, I get totally. You know, the one thing that I will always stand up typically while I'm playing is escape the curse of the temple. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's talk about what made you decide, you know, you've got this full-time career. Uh, what made you decide, i got to design games? It just goes back to as a child, as a young adult and everything, I just really like to create things. So whatever I'm making, I'm, I'm happy in it. I've, I've played music and I enjoy the writing process and the recording process the most, you know, I've written a little bit story-wise and things like that. But with games, it became, I found some companies online that allowed you to, to do like POD printing of, of card games and stuff and decided I wanted to take a, a stab at it because I've, you know, played games all the time, going back with CCGs and things like that, that I really wanted to just kind of try it out. I had a company that could make it. And because I had a, a fast track to that end result of, of having a deck of cards into my hand, I was driven right to that. Same thing with things like Cafe Press. If I can make a t-shirt, I'm going to try to do it because I just love the creative process. So games started to become more available in that POD sense, probably within the past five, six years. 
and that's when I, I, I found out about it and decided to start. What was your first concept? What first drew you over to the game site or what design like got in your head that you had to try to get out? It probably started with CCGs because I guess the first thing I did was something called Magic Gone Mad with my brother and brother-in-law, which was just, uh, it almost looked like a Pokemon ripoff and with just our own characters that we made. And it was just silly and dumb. And from there I went to, I made the first version of Pixel Ink and not much further after that, just by trying to make a game where you could side scroll a penny across the cards. Uh, and the game was no fun, but it, it, we created the characters and, and went from there. So the early designs were just very silly ideas of interjecting our own creations uh, into these games. And most of it was about that, making the, the brand and the character at that point more than the actual abilities of the game. So I'm assuming you spent a fair amount of time just kind of playing around with these ideas and concepts. Like you said, you were, you were playing with your brother and, and stuff like that. At what point do you remember a turning point where you decided this is something I really want to try to do? Uh, this is something I want to try to get into the industry and having a good concept of what getting into the industry meant for you. So it was probably, it was two things. Pixel Inc. in itself kind of did it. I made the little card game. It was silly. It was dumb. But there was a company that really wanted to make it into a video game. So I worked with them on making it a video game for years, uh, and it's still in the process. But at one point, they said, you know, there's nothing else for me to do as designer for the video game. It's all in the programmer's hands at this point. So do you want to make a board game version of it? So that was one of the first things I decided to do seriously i wanted to make it a really good game and because we had all this artwork ready we had all these characters we had everything done i could really focus on on making it into a game so that was the the first half of it the other half of it was i decided at the beginning of 2012 that i was going to take things seriously and and go to every convention i could make myself known and 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 get in the right circles and and find the right people to to 12 i guess the end of 2011 i entered a contest for the game crafter for their resource resource management or resource design contest and it was the very beginning of 2012 that i wound up winning that contest and that was the boost i had for going into that year with i've won this contest i'm going to these conventions i'm meeting all these people i'm going to try for more contests and try just to to network myself to the point where I can actually release a game. Uh, Pixel Lincoln happened right after that, Maximum Throwdown a little bit later. Um, I wound up getting in touch with uh, WizKids and was able to uh, co-design Quarrier's Quest of the Gladiator. And everything kind of started happening right after that. And it felt like it was as a result, emotionally, from winning that contest, it really gave me a boost, just a confidence boost, and then just planning on just being everywhere and just meeting everybody. You know, I was going to uh, mention, but I wasn't 100% sure if we've actually talked on the Game Crafter chat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I remembered seeing your name on there a few times. Probably. I mean, I have it open on my computer pretty much all day long. <laughs> but yeah, I've been on the chat. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, you, you won one of the contests there. Going back maybe before that even, do you have kind of a this is what I want to kind of do moment or did it just, was it just kind of a gradual progression into uh, you just kept doing it and, and eventually got some uh, steam behind it, I guess. I guess there was 
before I decided I was going to take it seriously, I guess I decided I wanted to do it. And that was probably a year before that. I decided I was going to jump into self-publishing. So I found the companies that could do a little POD and I ordered a couple copies and did some conventions, but it was still kind of just, just for fun and just because I had access to to these things. So I decided to really try to take it to the next level and dive into self-publishing. It was kind of because I had no clue even how to get to a publisher at that point. But more or less, I just I had these ideas and I wanted to kind of put them on paper and, and get them out there. So I did my first Kickstarter. It was probably in 2011, maybe 2010, for a game that was made on just business card stock. And I needed $500 to make the boxes for it. So I, I did that. We made the boxes and, and shipped it out. And it was a, a real big learning experience on, on diving into that self-publishing and, and what Kickstarter even was which is nothing like what it is now. And that was kind of where I decided that I was, I was in it. I, I, I've done it and I enjoy it. It's, it's something that I wanted to keep doing. So I went from there. I tried another Kickstarter that failed miserably and then jumped into the thing, the, the events of 2012 that worked out well. What was the first Kickstarter then, the one that was successful? First Kickstarter was a game called Lines of Fire. And it's uh, just a head-to-head tile combat game where the tiles are just square business cards that game came about where i was looking at just how to make things for cheap so i found business cards you can make a thousand business cards for like 20 bucks uh so i said and they have to be a unique design so i made five unique designs made a thousand of each of them which got me a hundred copies of the game and i just i just needed the box so Lines of Fire was a simple head-to-head. You play a tile. Eventually, from your hand, you're going to play a tile that says fire, and you see whose monsters uh, defeat each other. And if they defeat each other enough, they hit the castle, and your castle goes down in points, and somebody wins. It's very simple. It's kind of abstract with a castle medieval theme on it. And it was really early in the, in the Kickstarter game. I think there was only a few others at that point, like Alien Frontiers and stuff, and you know, $500, getting $500 from people to make this game was like, it was crazy at the time. I never even heard of such a thing. Yeah. Well, and back then it was, uh, it sounds crazy, but back then it was probably simpler to potentially <laughs> get $500 from somebody than from how games are perceived today because of the market today in Kickstarter. It was, but it was also. It was just your family and friends at that point. There was a lot less discovery on Kickstarter at the time. That's true. Um, and there was definitely no market for games. So I put it on there and fully expected that I just needed to get my friends and family on board. And I did. It was mostly friends and family. But then other people came on and it was just it was a shock. I didn't expect anybody outside of friends and family to get it. So and it was small. It was five hundred dollars. So it was like forty backers total. But there was like twenty people in there that I had no clue who they are, and they spent like fifty dollars on the game, which was which was really neat. There was no reviews of the game. There wasn't even rules or anything like that. It was just a thirty second video and some photos. It was neat. We were talking about you've got you know maximum throwdown in AEG. Uh, you were successful with that Kickstarter. Uh, you had the storytelling cards, which was successful. You've got Pixel Lincoln, which was huge. Uh, and you've got the campaign for the uh, expansion right now, which is doing really, really well as well. And this is mostly just to, again, uh, pinpoint for people coming along, you did have a failed project in the works. <laughs> so what happened there? So uh, it's a game called Famous Missions, and it plays 
kind of like the whole apples to apples party thing. You have a whole bunch of celebrities. They're good celebrities and bad celebrities. And what I mean by good and bad is useful and useless. So uh, you throw out a card. The judge throws out a card that says dismantle a bomb. And I've got a card full of people like Mike Tyson and Carrot Top and Paris Hilton and Abraham Lincoln. And I have to pick my best team of three. And then we kind of argue about it and, and debate. And then a winner's chosen. So the game in itself, it's one of those party games that if you have a creative crowd, it, it does really well, and it's a lot of fun. The Kickstarter campaign, well, one step back. The artwork, I did the artwork, and it's terrible. It looks like <laughs> little like stick figure avatars of the, of the people, but it's the kind of game that you don't really need that because it's all in your imagination. So while the stick figure avatars do the job, they don't sell the product, and that was the biggest lesson I learned from it was people – want art more than anything even more than a good game they want really good art and at least at a presentation level so people hated the artwork and i decided i had this like brilliant idea that i was going to debut the kickstarter and not tell anybody about it before it and (laughs) once i launched it i was like now it's time hey this kickstarter is up and i sprung this wonderful surprise on everybody and that definitely definitely backfired (laughs) so uh, i learned a bunch of lessons i my even my own internal it was. I went from a $500 Kickstarter to a $5,000 Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and it was beyond my scope at the time. It's still. I was requiring friends and family to to really start it off because it was still pretty early in the Kickstarter process. But it just. I think it hit 10%, and that was it. But having a failure, I think, was great, and I suggest everybody should have a failure because you learn so much. Well, and that, that's one of the things, mean, that's one of the reasons I kind of wanted to point it out and surround it with the fact that you've had quite a bit of success around it, just because we have said plenty of times on the podcast here. And when we've been talking to people, a unsuccessful project is not necessarily a failure. Exactly. Especially if you actually learn from it and take those lessons and, you know, uh, you can relaunch as long as you've learned something from your previous project. And usually it's a good idea to convey that to your backers so they understand that you learned something the last time. <laughs> well, it's finally going to be re- ready to relaunch next year through a different company with different artwork, with a little bit of different rules and a whole different angle, and with a lot of uh, advance notice. So there was so much learned on that. But, I mean, that just kind of got shelved. I was disappointed about it. It was just it was just a really bad experience at the time. I had I had a conversation with, with people on BoardGameGeek. I went on there and I said, why? Why is this project not doing well? And I just I wanted I wanted feedback, and they came, their artwork's terrible, you know. And I had some private messages from um, uh, Travis from Indie Board and Cards, and he was just like, you know, here are all your issues. I suggest you stop the campaign now to stop the damage. And I was like, oh man, that's rough. It's brutal. And then it, like looking back, like it was perfectly true and and really really good advice. But it was just it was it was still really early in Kickstarter and. None of it made sense at the time. Yeah, it's and you know we recently talked to Don Lloyd who did uh, Dark Horse back in those days as well, and yeah, it was it was a different time in Kickstarter. It really was. It was you know he did a Wild West themed game. That was the Wild West of Kickstarter, really, <laughs> and people were still very much trying to figure it out. When I launched Famous Missions, part of it was uh, everybody said you better launch your projects now, and this was like so early on because it's it's going to be gone. This is this is the end of it. Uh, there's if you don't launch it now, Kickstarter is going to 
bubble and, you know, blow itself up and there's never going to be any way to make your projects ever again. So that was always in everybody's mind back then. And little did they know where it was going to go. Yeah. And to an extent that conversation is still happening. (laughs) It does. And it's obviously, uh, I can, I compare it to eBay. It's, it's here to stay, whether it it gets sour or anything like that. It's, it's made a huge impact on society and it's going to be around. All right. So, you know, you've got, these great games uh, under your belt now. Have you established a a uh, set design process for yourself now that you, when you're designing stuff? Not really. Everything kind of takes its own course. I have a couple little things that I do, and I have my own little design space that I go to, which is which is great. I have a just a room in in the basement of my father-in-law's auction house, and I can go there and, and work and and. It's it's really cool having that that designated space to kind of do what I need to do, but I've spent most of the last year designing additional stuff for existing games. So I've been doing more Pixel Lincoln, more Maximum Throwdown, more of the Storyteller cards. <laughs> so I've lost the touch of my my new design to a degree. Um, my whole design process, I you know, every single day when I take my lunch at work, I have a certain mechanic that I'll work on or a certain theme of the day and I'll write it out into into as much detail as I can to go back to later. I do a lot of pitch tag. I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar with pitch tag. Something Daniel Solis and uh, Fred Hicks do on online a lot. Come up with just a silly title and then make up a game based off that title and then throw another title back to the other person. And it's just this instant creative process just to see what comes out. I do that online with a lot of friends and a lot of times it leads to, you know, a a decent prototype, which is really cool because they'll suggest something. My favorite one ever was Log Tightwad. That was somebody's (laughs) suggestion. And I came up with this silly game where pencils were your currency and you had to sharpen them X amount of twists uh, to spend them. So you were this log tightwad. And it's just ideas that would have never come about in any other fashion. I I love that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And we actually, uh, we talked to Daniel a while back and uh, I know that's, you know, he's very big into the open design process and yeah he kind of said the same thing and and a lot of what he said was you know sometimes i'll throw ideas out there because i don't know if it's something i want to work on and until i see (laughs) it kind of organically grow that's when i kind of figure out okay this is something i actually wanted to do (laughs) and i'm like i'm like the complete opposite of that because i mean with my friends that are designers like well you know i'll test prototypes and we'll do the pitch tag and all but anything that i'm working on seriously i keep bottled up where nobody can see it until it's, you know, at this full, I feel like it's just at its ugliest point and it's got to be perfect before I show anybody. And that's never, never good. It, it, it doesn't help in your uh, development stage, but I've gotten a little past that lately, but it's always been that way. I, I keep it kind of hidden inside until I feel like it's at this presentable place. You've done several Kickstarters on your own. And before we started, you were talking about the storytelling cards. You want to talk a bit about that one, since uh, you said that that's been kind of consuming your time right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so storyteller cards are a deck of playing cards. Basically, I call them a deck of playing cards to help storytellers of all types: gamers, role players, writers. And what they are is they're just they're there to create ideas and help you get through bumps in your in your creative process. So the card has an illustration of say a doctor running in a street with a key. 
So it's a character with an action and a location interacting with an item. So they're all different, and they have different icons on the sides. You know, there's the standard suits and ranks of a playing card deck, but then there's moods and seasons and letters of the alphabet. So it's just, it's there to push ideas and help creativity. It did really well on Kickstarter. I have a great artist, uh, Campbell White, on it. He it's pretty much I did the design, he did the art, and it turned out amazing. So Kickstarter did really well. It it overfunded quite a bit, and it was mega successful as far as my first real project under this name Button Shy, where I'm kind of testing the waters in larger scale publication. Everything before that was like a hundred copies. This is you know full twenty five hundred run and things like that. So it did well, and I decided I was going to do fulfillment on my own. And the reason for that was I just I just want everything to be right this first time around. I want to give it a little personal touch, and I want to try it out to see see if it's something that I enjoy. And for the past two weeks or so, I've been shipping everything. I just finished last night, and it was like the most grueling two weeks ever of packing boxes, watching the the uh, the money disappear <laughs> into international shipping, which is very painful to watch. Watching that money long be gone and my credit card dipping into international shipping it's just it, the whole experience is just it takes everything out of you it's it, it took away from time that i could be designing games and should be designing games uh it took away from time when i should be pushing these cards to you know distributors and and stores and when you take on that everyman role a lot of things have to will suffer and and have to be put aside so i want to keep the website up to date but i can't do that because i'm packing up boxes i want to be dropping these boxes off at the post office but i can't do that because i'm printing shipping labels so it was just i i took on every role to really experience it myself just finished it up it was crazy it was very fulfilling doing it myself now that it's done it was very rough while it went while it happened and then just this morning i was talking to the artist about doing the next set and just starting this process all over again <laughs> so uh while it, it's a lot of work and it's really tough it's something that's enjoyable but it's really going to take the right person to do it it's i don't think everybody can do it and i don't think everybody should it's really really tough now that you've done that and you've gone all the way through it do you find yourself in the you know what i'm i'm really uh I, I would really prefer to be a designer camp or uh somewhere in the middle or uh i'm fine with this uh kind you know you know what i'm talking about kind of publisher versus designer kind of deal yeah it's tough because i i like both of it and i've done a little bit of like the development and the publishing side for for other groups and the creative process is my favorite. So the day-to-day -day shipping is not that exciting. <laughs> All the schmoozing doesn't excite me, you know, in any way. The 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 salesman side of it, I don't like any of that. So, but I I do like having that little personal touch. So I feel like I have certain projects where I will want to do the full publishing route, and certain friends' projects and designer pro other designer projects that I know of that I will want to do the publisher route because it, it, it kind of calls for it. But if I design anything bigger than a, than a small card game, I don't want to go through all that just yet. I, I'm not ready for it, and there's a, there's a lot. It's really nice to hand it off at some point and, <laughs> and watch people go to work on your game. So it's really on a project-by-project -project basis. I like both of them. Uh, it just they're they're drastically different, and I feel like I'll do certain ones in certain in certain situations. Okay, so for right now, like some of your smaller projects and or friend projects, you'll do under the button shy. Uh, exactly. Level? Okay, 
And then anything that I design that's that I feel could be bigger, and by bigger in components, I mean, Storyteller cards were just a deck of 54 playing cards. So there was little room for error, little room for even... Like, the learning curve wasn't going to be that bad. If I had a, a full game with multiple components and everything, it just it would have been a huge undertaking to start. So I wanted to start small and see where it went. Okay. So then we can kind of transition from that into you had Pixel Lincoln and uh, you teamed up with Game Salute for that one. So how was how was that transition uh, going from doing all of it yourself to having Game Salute help you out? <laughs> so it, Pixel Lincoln started out that we were going to do all of it ourselves and it was really close to the launch of the Kickstarter that, that Game Salute got involved. And the whole run of the Kickstarter all of us, me and the island officials is the team that's doing the video game. So I work with them. They have all the artwork and everything. So just talking to them during the course of that original campaign, it was like, thank God we didn't do this ourselves. <laughs> it was, you know, so much, just running a campaign is so much work in itself. But I mean, GameSlut sent out a ton of review copies. They did a ton of advertising and all these things that cost money that they didn't have, I don't have you know, that it, it wouldn't have happened on our own like that. Uh, and then once the, the campaign closed, everything with just dealing with somebody in China to make the game, all that stuff was, was assumed by GameSlute, and it, it would have been a nightmare if we did it ourselves. Uh, and it was cool because there would be certain things, like I'd see the email chain from GameSlute, like, here, we need this, we need a video for this. And they shoot out an email, and you'd have all these different people chiming in and saying, I got it, and doing this which is a whole different thing than me just taking on every role and having to stop one to do another. Yeah. So for anybody unaware, which I, I doubt there are too many people unaware because Pixel Lincoln really did blow up. And I want to ask you about that too. You were looking for $5,000 at the time and Pixel Lincoln made over $41,000 with over 800 backers. <laughs> How did that feel coming from some of the other projects that you had done? Were were you expecting people to kind of latch on as well as they did? Obviously you were hoping for success, but were you were you expecting that kind of success? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, we were expecting I mean, we were hoping to hit $20,000. That was like me and the guys on Island officials. We were saying that, you know, because of Lincoln being cool, because of pixels being cool, because of deck building being cool, you know, we've got a chance to do a little bit. And we were hoping that, you know, for $5,000, we make the game. For 10000 we add the meeples. And 20000 we add the board. And now we've got this full product that's exactly, you know, our dream version of the game. And it wound up doing more than doubling that, which was, it was crazy. The last few days of it was just insanity. And I was, I mean, running a Kickstarter campaign, you're just, it's just crazy the whole time. You're just refreshing. If you're not the person who's getting the emails when people are backing, which I'm, I'm not game slip is. So I'm sitting there just hitting refresh all day long. The last day of the campaign, I told my wife just to leave the house, take the kids, get as far <laughs> away as possible. Cause I'm going to stand here and walk in circles for the next eight hours. And I really just did. It was just, <laughs> just, it's, it's crazy, but it did, it did so well. I was so excited and, and, and really happy to see that 
that support. You know, and above and beyond it doing well on Kickstarter, it has been really well received after the fact, which doesn't always happen. I mean, either some games will get some lukewarm response or you'll, you know, or you'll get the, yeah, this was pretty decent or, you know, uh, heaven forbid you get the opposite end. I I don't know why I ever (laughs) gave this project my money, Uh, but Pixel Lincoln has been doing really, really well. And a lot of people have received it really well. Uh, How did that feel after the game had been delivered to people and you were kind of getting the feedback that, yeah, we really like this. It, it was cool because it hit it hit the people that that we really the people that I thought were going to love the game really do and it, it's it's those those old school gamers that that just, that just love that nostalgia of side scrolling and cheat codes and everything else that we threw into the game. There's some people that really really love it and that's just a a really good feeling. Uh, there's a couple reviews that and the reviews there's reviews all over the board. There's reviews that say it's okay. There's reviews that say it's not ascension and you know you don't even need to bother. And then there's reviews that just really talk about the experience and the nostalgia side of it. And and those are the ones that that really kind of hit what I was going for. And to see that shows through in in the style of the game and the gameplay uh, was really exciting. So now we're looking at you. You know, we'll we'll kind of make the transition here because uh, right now you've got Pixel Link and the Re-Election Expansion up, which again you've teamed up with Game Salute. They're running the actual Kickstarter again. You are looking for one thousand dollars for this expansion. You're currently uh, just shy of eight thousand, and it goes until December twenty seventh. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, let's hear your elevator pitch for Pixel Lincoln Re-Election. <laughs> All right, so Re-Election is just taking Pixel Lincoln to the next level. Uh, it's four separate decks, which each consist of X amount of cards. And out of those cards, there's more the old and a whole bunch of the new. So each of the four levels has a new type of card or a new mechanic or something that was never in the game before. So the big one that that launched this was environment. Uh, When you play through the game, you're moving through the levels, defeating enemies, uh, obtaining items, but there's nothing to determine where you are and why you're there. Uh, So I wanted to put these environment cards that say, now you're in a lava level. And because it's lava... I don't remember the rule for lava. You have to jump X amount of times. Uh, now you're in a wind level. So every time you scroll forward, you wind up scrolling backwards one as well. So I wanted to put these level types from, from classic gaming in there. The scrolling ground, spike level, the spike floor, all kinds of things like that. So that's the big thing in, in one of the decks. Another one of the decks, we added the components to have a fifth player. A couple people wanted to play with more people, so we threw that in. Another one, we added characters that have votes on them, and it's a little mini-election within the game. So the player with the most votes at the end gets X amount of bonus points. And then the last one, we added just more difficulty. The way it's built, uh, the bosses have static powers. So say a boss is a 7. Well, sometimes in the game, that 7 is... It's really impossible to beat or really tough. And then sometimes if you build things up, it's really easy. So the people that want it to be harder, I, we threw in these meat powers. And it's something like the power of bacon that gives a boss plus three and <laughs> makes them really hard. And then if you defeat him, you get that power and you get to use that. Uh, so those are all the new things. And then what we took with the old was characters and items basically made a whole ton uh, more of them and gave them all unique abilities. That was one of the things people said in the old game was they wish there was more there were more abilities so each 
item and each enemy has a unique ability in this game and there there's a whole ton of them and we've been unlocking them as stretch stretch rewards and it's been really cool let me ask you this were a lot of these ideas that you already had or was this something that you had to sit down and go back to the drawing board to try to add new things to uh, pixel lincoln uh it was probably about half and half uh we had a couple things that i that i really wanted to have in the first time and I wanted to establish a base game before making things crazy the first time around. So while there's, you know, the item, the drop is an ability. So a, a enemy drops an item. Uh, I put that on four, I think four, three or four cards in the first game because I really wanted to establish these really iconic things that were in classic video gaming. So while we had so many drops in there and, and a lot of multiples, it kept it very basic and, and very standard. So leaving room to grow. So there were a couple of things that we talked about, like right when that came out, ladders, uh, Daryl Louder suggested adding ladders to the game. And this was like a year and a half ago. Environments came out around that time. And then all kinds of little abilities that allow you to move certain places that you couldn't move before were things that seemed really cool at the time that we were making the game. But I really wanted to keep it this basic level of almost the introductory game and then build off of that. Uh, you know, we've been asking this one uh, lately, but I'm going to uh, make it a two-parter for you. <laughs> Go for it. Somebody brand new to Pixel Lincoln is checking out this Kickstarter. What is the uh, one thing you want to make sure they know that would make them go, I have, or one or two things uh, that I have to back this game and then approach it from somebody that already has Pixel Lincoln. Why do they need the expansions? Okay, so new backer, the two things is it's a side-scrolling card game where Lincoln wields weapons made of meat. So <laughs> that's really the most I can fit into a sentence that's going to, it's either going to turn them on or turn them off. <laughs> The biggest aspect of it is a side-scrolling card game. If that appeals to you, you're going to like it. And Lincoln wielding meat is just the quirkiness of, of what you're getting into. So it's another thing you're either going to like or you're not going to like. For backers or for owners of the previous game, it's just the sheer amount of new ideas that are in this version. Just with different card types like environments and votes and a whole ton more of the things that you love. So people who had the game before, if you want a lot more, this game, this this has a whole ton of new, unique stuff in it. And the levels, the pledge levels, I mean, if you're going out there, you can a la carte the four different decks that Jason was talking about. If uh, there's something that really appeals to you that you want to have in your game, or of course, there's a level to get all of them, uh, which why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I agree. I just, I really wanted to offer something at a price point that if somebody was slightly interested or slightly poor, uh, you know, I, I really pushed for that, that I guess it's like a $9 level, uh, just to have something to offer if somebody wanted to show a little bit of support even. This is going until December 27th and just shy of $8,000. Uh, are we uh, close to a stretch goal here? What's What's our next stretch goal that we're looking at? I think it's 8,500 unlocks the Doomsayer. So we're basically, we unlocked pretty much all the items that were, that were even thought about for this. We, we blew through all the items then we did secret items. Now we're doing mini bosses, Doomsayer. Everything was taken from the video game. Basically Doomsayer is a guy that's in each level that tells you crazy talk. You know, he, he tells you something crazy that winds up being a, a hint about something within the level. So, 
as I'm going through all the characters and all the artwork, as I'm building this this deck building game, I pulled him aside and said, he looks like he'd make a really cool mini boss. <laughs> so uh, I made him a mini boss. There's another mini boss after that. And then I think we're going to start getting into the enemies. So there's a ton left that we can unlock. There's going to be a surprise on Christmas that's a... A, a little secret that hasn't been announced yet, but we had a we had a surprise on uh, Thanksgiving, and it was the stretch goal was if it's if if this campaign runs during Thanksgiving, you will get this, and it was a hot turkey leg, Lincoln <laughs> wielding a hot turkey leg. Nice. So we've got something like that in store for Christmas, just because it's going to be a bad day for crowdfunding. We might as well make something fun out of it. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we move into uh, Kickstarter lesson specific. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners for on uh, Pixel Link and Re-Election before we move to lessons? Basically, uh, if you want to check out the campaign, check it out. There's reviews right on there that that you know tell you exactly what you're getting into with the game. I think we've got like six or seven reviews. It's light deck building. It's um, very thematic. Feels like an old school video game. And uh, like I said, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. If you like the idea of Lincoln with a sausage link whip or a mutton <laughs> star fighting against there's laser sharks, there's luchadors, there's there's a little bit of everything. That's all what the base game's about. And then this game is a, just expanding on it to giving him a, a bacon shield and fighting against, you know, falling cows and things like that. So this is like the sequel that takes the weird, gets a little weirder and makes the game a lot deeper and crazier. <laughs> right. So Kickstarter lessons. Do you have uh, <laughs> anything that stands out to you that you would like to share with people coming up behind you now, uh, just getting ready to swim in the ocean that is Kickstarter? So uh, I guess the biggest thing is, I do a lot of trying to talk people against it, talk people out of it. I try to tell people, here's an example. You have a game, it costs $50 to ship it, you know, internationally, or, you know, it's a, it's a huge pledge. It's a $80 pledge and a whole ton of it, half of it's going to shipping international and you ship it internationally and it winds up coming back to you. And now you've got the game back in your hand and you have the option to refund their money, their $80 or, ship it back to them again internationally, it's going to cost you another $40. Most cases, you've spent all your Kickstarter money, so this is going out of your pocket. So just assume that, and on a large-scale level of it happening, you know, a good amount of times. Are you willing to lose a lot of money? Are you willing to lose a, a ton of time? And it's, I kind of put it this way, is like, are you someone who would open your own business? Would you run your own shop or or assume all the responsibilities of being, you know, your own businessman running your own thing? And would you inherit everything that comes along with that? So it's not just I'm going to make this game. I'm going to ship it to some people. It's there. There's a ton more to it, and it takes us, like I said, a certain mindset. It's it's very business person oriented, and uh, it's not for everybody. So there are alternatives out there with companies that will you know publish you or assist you with your kickstarter or anything like that if you have a game i just i think instead of kickstart it's like a lot of people will go to kickstarter because they don't want to go the other route of searching out publishers or they're not familiar with it or they fear rejection or they just want their game out sooner than later but unless you feel like you could really run a business i'd say you know it might not be for you you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the old fantasy, right? Or you know, the reoccurring fantasy that is is still happening in gamers today, and that's the oh, I 
it would be so awesome to run a game store, right? <laughs> and uh, as somebody that's worked uh, closely with a owner in a game store, <laughs> I always like to have that conversation with, with people and see where they're coming from. And it's usually uh, a good percentage of, well, you know, you get all these games and you get to play games all the time and completely bypassing the fact that you do realize you're talking about working in retail. (laughs) (laughs) I have run a game store and I can tell you that it's, it's not what it's cracked up to be. I mean, there are positives. You get to hang around with cool people there, you know, and, and the social side of it is probably the best side. The profit side of it is probably the worst side of it. You know, by the the time we did it, it was like Yu-Gi-Oh was huge. So we'd have parents that would drop their kids off at the store in the morning and say, we'll pick you up when it closes. Here's a dollar for a slice of pizza for the place across the street. (laughs) Not a single penny to buy anything. So it's just at one point it almost became like like childcare, you know. (laughs) But I mean, and there's there's sides of that that are fulfilling, but it's just it's it's not the dream that anybody thinks it's going to be. Let me ask you this. I mean, we talked about the storytelling project, storytelling card project that you did and you did all of it yourself something like that would you potentially consider you know maybe not having game salute run the project but doing like their ship naked option so i i had two different things with them i guess they offer a couple things they offer to run the project they offer to um distribute and they offer to just ship the only reason I didn't have them distribute is because I really want to take this to a different, a diff- it almost has like a different crowd built in. It's, it's definitely for gamers, but I really want to try to hit writers. So I, I want to take it outside of what GameSlew offers and try to hit these different types of, of people, take it to school fairs and things like that. And, and really try to kind of hit the mass market non-gamer crowd as well. So that's the only reason I didn't go with Game Salute for distribution because I don't feel like it's a game. <laughs> so that's that's the weird part about that. But shipping would have been looking back. I don't even know what ship naked costs, but whatever it costs, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just shipping is grueling and not fun. <laughs> that, that's why I brought I specifically brought up the ship naked side of things because it sounded like uh, that. And and again, you know, we were talking before we started recording. Uh, you know, I I my friend Jason uh, has done the exact same thing with all of his projects. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's a fun time to talk to him during shipping time uh, <laughs> or to see the pictures of what his house looks like and until things get shipped out. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the, the, it eats a lot of time. Uh, and like you said earlier, I mean, it's just, it's the, it's one of the most tedious parts of the entire process that suddenly you're just like, oh my God, I'm losing so much time and I'm not having any kind of fun at all. I, I saved the most expensive packages for last just because I wanted to get them right. And because they were so different than everything else, they were very unique in what people were getting. Uh, and I was so delirious by the end of it i messed up so many of them where i printed the shipping label for them twice and had to pay twice and i'm waiting for all these refunds now and i'd stick things on there and it was just by the end of it i was so burnt out it was i hadn't seen my family for 10 days pretty much (laughs) and it just it was so tough i was eating terribly and I'm, i'm just so thrilled to be past that and the ship naked is so much more enticing now that I have been through the process, but I really wanted to do it myself. 
Uh, and I know everybody does. And that's, that's kind of why I did it. I wanted to see if this is something I want to explore every, every avenue of this industry just to see, you know, what, what I really mesh best with and shipping isn't it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. All right, Jason, I want to thank you for joining me here and wrapping up the end of my year. Uh, with oh, this is great. Another great interview. Again, Pixel Lincoln re-election expansion is on Kickstarter right now. It goes until December 27th. So go on out there, check it out. If you've already got the game, you're probably already out there. If you don't have the game yet, hey, you can get involved right here. There is a pledge level for you. So go check it out. And uh, once again, Jason, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. 